Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Actually, chapter 7. We'll do a little bit of reading today. Acts chapter 7, and we'll be starting in the 54th verse. And we're going to read to chapter 8, verse 3. And then I will start one of my first three sermons this afternoon. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged at Stephen, and they grounded their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen to death, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of uh, one of your great missionaries, Paul, Father God. We thank you for the story of this great martyr named Stephen, Father God. And we thank you for the great transition that you made as they would try they stoned Stephen to death he was a voice to the Gentiles and you raised up a new voice the Apostle Paul who used to be Saul Father God I pray that you breathe upon this text breathe upon this message so that we can get to know more intimately not just Paul's prior conversion but the God of his conversion the God that can take a man that murdered Christians and make him an apostle to the Gentile. Father God, introduce us again afresh to you, the God of conversion. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. You know, we're going to be going through Paul's life today. As I spoke last week, I want to do a series on the book of Galatians. We'll be preaching out of the book of Galatians starting next week. Uh, So next week will be an introduction into the book of Galatians on the first four verses, but I thought it first to be more fresh to understand who Paul is. Because if you read anything of Paul, whether it's Galatians or whether it's one of his other 12 epistles, Paul is never far from the epistle. You cannot read one of Paul's epistles without seeing something of his conversion, something of his love for Christ, something of his gratitude for what Christ had done for him on the road to Damascus. There was always something in Paul that was always reminded of who he used to be 
And what God had done for him out of pure grace, it's always in his writing. So whether it's Galatians, as we see, we start next week, he was defending the gospel. We're going to find out that in all his epistles, wherever you go, Paul's heart is always right there. You cannot read the epistles of Paul. You do a great injustice to read the the epistles of Paul without knowing who the Apostle Paul is. To be honest with you. If you don't know the great conversion of this man, you open up the book of Galatians, uh, you're going to miss out on just how sweet the book of Galatians is. And if you read any other epistle of Paul, you don't know his great conversion. You are going to miss out on just how awesome and how great this man really is and the God he served and what God had done for him and how humble and how broken of a human being is. Paul would have been very pleased with the first two songs we sung today because without its doubt they were, had a Pauline theme to it about grace and about no boasting, those kind of things and the transforming of our mind and our will being conformed. That, that comes out of the Pauline epistles, out of Ephesians chapter 2 of no boasting, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians it comes out of and of course Romans 12 speaks about being conformed uh, not to this world but being transformed by the renewing of our mind you, you can't get far without seeing Paul everywhere and so I want to read the story of how who Paul is but who he was prior to his conversion the apostle Paul if you would just read his epistles you would say he's a nice man but peppered throughout all his epistles are these sort of autobiographical verses of what he used to be about he was a great persecutor we're going to get into some of these verses just to show you who he was but I don't want you to miss of the great conversion that we are going to read about of how awful of a man the apostle Paul was the man was straight out brutal he was sadistic he was a true murderer in his heart. And it's written in scripture because the Bible wants us to know that. It wants us to know just how great the grace of God really is. We are introduced to Paul at an execution of a young man who had just finished preaching in chapter 6-7, was preaching to the Jewish leaders that Jesus is the Messiah. And they didn't like what they heard. Especially when they were about to stone him to death. And he looked up and he saw the heavens open. He saw Jesus at the right hand of, of God. They hated they, they put their fingers in their ears, the King James Version says. And they, and they stormed on him with one mind. And they dragged him out of the city as Deuteronomy would have taught them to do. And they, and they stoned him to death. He didn't kneel down. They, they beat him to death with stones. And Saul, a young man, maybe 30 years old, a young he was a Pharisee, he was a theologian, he was young in his calling, in his ministry, in Judaism, but he was zealous even to the murder of Christians. And they laid their garments at his feet. That wasn't for him to protect the garments. They were asking his approval. He was given his approval, his legal authority as a head of Judaism and saying, go, kill the man. He has just blasphemed God. We don't want to miss it. This is who Paul is. Paul's a nut. He is a religious fanatic. He is so bent up on ancestral religion, he's blinded 
by the truth that lay right before him. And if you read Paul, you understand that the, all he does is quote scripture after scripture after scripture. But he was so blinded by the zeal for the tradition of his fathers that he couldn't see Jesus Christ before his conversion. But we're going to read some verses of scripture as we just did in verse chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. We're going to just see just how fanatical this man is. Chapter 8, verse 1 says that he approved of Stephen's execution. Chapter 8, verse 3 says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering on a sort of uh, uh, seek-and-destroy mission, house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was heartless. The man was absolutely heartless. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples, Verse 2 says, And he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that means anyone who belonged to Jesus Christ, who was the disciple of Jesus Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It's about 150 miles. Bound to Jerusalem on the search and destroy mission to seek them out. This is who Paul was. Acts 22.4 Paul says it, he says this, I persecuted the way of Christianity to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Acts 26.10. Again he says, And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the Christian saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He was a thumbs-down type of religious fanatic. 1 Corinthians 15.9 For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Galatians 1.13 For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and try to destroy it. Galatians 1.23 They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Philippians 3.6 says, As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the Christian church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. 1 Timothy 1.13 Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I persecuted I persecuted the church, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. It's hard to believe that the Paul we constantly hear about, we preach about, and we quote, and we study, was really this brutal persecutor ravaging of the church. Ravaging actually means to, it's used only once in the New Testament and twice in the Old Testament, and it's used of a wild animal tearing the flesh of another animal, or a wild boar going into the vineyard and just tearing it apart with no restraints. You got to get a picture of who this man was. He had no restraint. He couldn't even control 
control himself. If he wanted to, he had no conscience whatsoever to restrain himself from executing those who follow Jesus Christ. This is Saul of Tarsus. He was bitter, cruel, obsessed, cold, callous, heartless. You couldn't reason with this man. There was no sitting down with him and saying, Paul, I need to talk to you, or Saul, I need to talk to you about what you're doing. You're, you're not acting like a true Jew. You're a madman. There was no stopping him. He had authority, and there was nothing going to get in his way. He had one thing on his mind, and that was to destroy the name of Jesus Christ. If anyone professed the name of Jesus Christ, he was bent on destroying that. He had a one-track mind of destroying off the face of the earth anyone who confessed Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. This is a man that God saves. And we're going to go into his, we're going to go into his conversion. But the wording, every Every verse of scripture that talks about Paul prior to his conversion either has ravages, breeds murder, tried to destroy in it. There is nothing in it about him favorable. Except about when he grew up in Tarsus. Paul grew up in most likely a wealthy home. He grew up, as he says in Philippians chapter 3, he grew up a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning both his mother and his father had a long lineage of being Hebrews, out of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a true pedigree. The man was a, spirit, a religious superstar. I don't want you to ever forget that. Under Judaism, he was the man. He was the rising star. This is the man who batted 400. He would hit 150 RBIs. This man could drive in 140 runs a, a, a year. This is the superstar. This is the Apostle Paul. Nothing could stop him. He wasn't just zealous for the traditions of the fathers. He was a brainiac. He had a mind that could absorb Scripture. He knew Scripture. He thought he was defending scripture. He was actually doing what Jesus says in John 16, verse 2. And I, hopefully you understand what that is. You should be able to quote it right now. I'll give you a test. Jesus says a time is going to come where men are going to persecute you and think they're doing a service to God. They're going to kill you, Jesus actually says. And think they're doing a service to God. That's what Paul was doing. He was killing Christians and thinks he was doing a service to God. And that's the way it would have went on and on and on and on and on if it wasn't for the God of grace. The very person he was crucifying, the very person he was persecuting, which was Christ, was the very one which saved him. It, it is an incredible act of God. I want to, with hands raised, how many people have never read the conversion of the Apostle Paul? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. All right. A couple of honest hands, and I see a lot of dishonest faces. <laughs> a couple of hands just went up all automatically. <laughs> Every Christian should understand the conversion of the Apostle Paul. 
He was Saul of Tarsus, the ravaging animal, executing men and women. The picture is of a heartless religious fanatic. Surely God's going to put this guy in his place. Surely God's going to step into his life and say, look who you, don't, don't be dealing with me. Because don't we like people to get, don't we like to get even with people? Don't, don't we want to get even with people who persecute us and who mock us and who, you know, just, who deride us and laugh at us and laugh? Don't we want, don't we want fairness? Who ever thought of his conversion? Maybe Stephen's prayer of saying, Lord, forgive him for he does not know what they do. Maybe it had something to do with his conversion. Some scholars like to live on that, but I, whether it is or not, it makes no difference, you know. But he was converted. We're going to go to chapter 9 now. And I just want to read something if I can find out where it is. You were looking at a man, everybody look, who has lost his eyesight in the last three weeks. <laughs> I mean, it went like that. It really did happen. At 35 years old, it just went like that. Just out of nowhere. I thought I had to wait till I was at least 52. My wife is giving me these glasses constantly. She gave me glasses the other night. I wouldn't want them. When she went to bed, I had to take them out and use them. <laughs> then I put them back where they were, so when she woke up, she wouldn't recognize I was using them. I think I still have another month left without them, but we'll keep going, right? At least on this, I got bigger font, so I can play with all I want with this thing. Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he was, as he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you will do. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor he drank. You know, this is the beginning of Paul's conversion. You know, Paul was a brilliant young man. And what God has just done has stepped into a man who had a violent, angry, prideful, self-righteous attitude. A man who, whose head was filled with such understanding, but his heart was, had no love in it at all, and just stepped into his life, instead of stoning him to death, actually saves him. On his way, he's on the road to Damascus for the very task of going into the synagogues and finding anyone belonging to the way, means Christianity, he was going to drag them, bound. 
hand and foot, if they were fighting, he was going to fight back 150 miles back to Jerusalem and maybe execute more people. And this is where he's apprehended by God. This is where he encounters God. Let's remember something. Paul is not seeking salvation. He's not seeking Jesus. I read one scholar who I like most of the time, this time I disliked him very much, and said that Paul was fighting with his conscience uh, because of the stoning of Stephen, he was having a conflict of conscience and uh, he sort of like saw the light. Uh, that's not what happened. God gave him the light, period. God intervened by grace alone. He wasn't seeking salvation. He didn't think he needed salvation. If you read Philippians chapter 3, you're looking at a man who thought he was blameless according to the law of Moses. He was a religious superstar. He was a pedigree. He didn't need this free gift of mercy and grace from this Jesus who was crucified as a criminal. This man was filled with self and independence from God. The last thing he was looking for was a salvation from a crucified criminal. But that's exactly who he met on the road to Damascus. But little did he know this Jewish carpenter who was killed as a criminal and a blasphemer was actually Jehovah himself. And he hears those words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the first thing anybody would ask was, Who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And there's something that happens here. He's not just introduced to Jesus, he's introduced to Jesus through his body. I don't want you to miss that. He's introduced to Jesus through the body of Christ he's persecuted. You see, wherever Jesus, wherever the body of Christ is, the head is here. You persecute the body, you're persecuting the head. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. Don't do damage to the, the church. Because then you'll have to deal with God. I'm paraphrasing. Paul's introduction was to try to destroy the body of Christ. And he gets to meet the head on the road to Damascus. And he falls to the ground. Breaks him of his pride. And for the first time in his entire life, he has to depend on other people. He has to depend on the people to pick him up. Has to depend on the people to put him on a horse. Has to depend on people to bring him into Damascus. Has to depend on people to sit him down. He doesn't eat for three days. He doesn't drink for three days. He's blinded by the experience of what had just happened. He cannot see. He's not fasting because it's a, a religious festival. He's inundated by what had just happened to him. His whole life has been undone. He's trying to rectify this experience he had just had on the road to Damascus. This is what God does. God intercepted this persecutor, this madman, this fanatic's life 
gives him salvation, and as we're going to read now, is going to send him out into the mission field to be the great apostle Paul. Let's read on a little more here in verse 20. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of, a, of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come to him and lay his hands on him, that he might regain his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard of this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I just want to stop there for a moment. How beautiful that must have sounded to him. Brother Saul. Accepted into the household of faith he was persecuted. Receiving the right hand of fellowship. It must have been soothing. Because for three days he didn't just see. And for three days he didn't just eat. For three days he heard nothing. He heard nothing. And now he hears. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. By which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight. And he filled him with the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. If you don't know that story of the Apostle Paul, you are missing out on one of the great gems of Christianity. Not to know that is, you're missing out on the heart of grace. The Apostle Paul is the quintessential picture of grace. There is nowhere else in Scripture you can find an act of divine mercy more clearer, more powerful than the story we just read. You cannot. A man who was persecuting the body of Christ, a man who hated the name of Jesus, a man who wasn't even looking for salvation, is given salvation and a mission to go and preach in his name. It's, it's just incredible. You know, there are some similarities uh, with Paul's salvation, we'll talk about it. I'm going to go through his salvation a little bit. 
his salvation experience. We do have some similarities, but Paul's salvation is quite unique. I want you to know that. I wish I could say we all have some kind of revelation of God like that. Most of us, uh, our salvation is more evolutionary. We hear about Jesus, our family members are talking about Jesus, our friends are talking about Jesus. You know, most of us either come out of an orthodox background or uh, evangelical background, so we're hearing something about Jesus. And But one day we're saved. You know, I can remember the day of my salvation. I can remember when the light went off. I can remember when people for two years were talking to me about Jesus, and it wasn't like, you know, get away from me. I was like, yeah, I believe. I did believe in Jesus. I just didn't know him personally. I didn't fight that. But I remember the day of my salvation as clear as I am here today. And I've shared it. I left the church, and there was three things I knew. Jesus is God, my sins are forgiven, and the Bible is real. I knew that as clear as I know my name. I saw the light. There are similarities, but there are quite some things that are unique. And we'll speak about those a little later. But, uh... The first thing I want to talk about in chapter 9 is verse 3 that he sees this great light. A great light was needed to blind him from his own reality, his own self, his own independence, this great light of God's holiness. He was so blinded to any kind of humanity, any kind of civility, any kind of compassion, any kind of concern. He was so filled with unbelief that only God's presence could ever stop this man dead in his tracks. That was it. It was like walking into a wall. That's how powerful this was. It had grabbed his attention. Every molecule of his being was grabbed by this light. The light of God's holiness that God captured him by. You think Moses seeing a burning bush was a great sight? has nothing compared to what Saul is experiencing in here, but this is exactly what he needed to stop him because nothing was going to stop him than a face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, shoulder-to-shoulder confrontation with the living, risen Christ. Nothing was going to do it. Nothing at all was going to do it but to meet Christ personally. Falling to the ground in verse 4, he's knocked off this high horse of pride. He's in in a position now to hear from God. And that's what he's going to do. From, from this moment on, Paul only hears from God, from Ananias, from visions and dreams, and from the scriptures. From this moment on, all he can do is hear from God. He is knocked off. Pride is gone. He is not independent of God no more. He's not Saul of Tarsus no more. He's actually a man who's blind, looking for an identity, which God's going to give him when he calls him Paul. But that's what he needed. He was paralyzed. He was no more independent of God. This is a man that was now in a position of dependence on everybody around him. Persecuting me, Paul's first experience with the living God, as I said before, was a rebuke of the most cutting kind, which he remembered the rest of his life. Even as we go into 1 Timothy, and we see Paul making mention that, that God uses me an example to all those who receive salvation of his great patience. 
all his life, he never forgot who he was before he met Christ. He never forgot. Never ever forgot for one moment. Every interpersonal relationship, every time he ever sat down or before another human being, he never forgot what he was before he met Jesus Christ. It's good advice for all of us. And we will close with those remarks later on. To think that he was persecuting the body of Christ. And not so much in Galatians, but in his other writings, in Romans, in Thessalonians, and Titus, and Timothy, and especially in Ephesians, we see Paul speak about the church, the body of Christ, more than any other New Testament writer. No one writes about the body of Christ like the Apostle Paul does. Whom he persecuted, now he is adopted as a surrogate father. It's, it's an absolute divine mercy. He was persecuting the body of Christ, and now God takes this persecutor of the body and says, now I'm going to make you a surrogate father. Think about God's kingdom. Think about His ways. How can we give up on anybody? How really can we give up? Are we all going to have this kind of conversion? I, I wish I saw more of these, and I have heard of great conversions. But they're there. And we should be praying like Stephen. When we are persecuted, we should be praying as Stephen prayed, and praying as Jesus says, when they persecute you, pray. It's a good thought. It's more than a thought, it's actually a command when Jesus says it. In verses 6 to 19, I'm not going to read it again, but he receives instruction from the Lord. He reminds, he remains blind for three days to enhance his experience. He's being disciplined by the Lord at this point. His blindness for three days is purposeful. It's to break him and to bring him to a place of absolute brokenness in his life. To remove every ounce of pride this man had. To break him of his arrogance. To break him of his self-righteousness. To break him of his willfulness. To leave him in this most humble position. Until he's finally, the scales fall off his eyes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that he goes and does... He goes preaches to others. I think most people when they're first saved do most of their witnessing when they're first saved. It's a sad reality. But I don't know why Christians cool off. Why in the world do we cool off? What is it? That blinding experience of our salvation that we're willing to tell anybody about Jesus Christ. We know nothing of the Bible except that once we were blind and now we see. Let me tell you something. That's a good methodology for the rest of your life. Your testimony of once I was blind and now I was see. Don't try to explain a trinity. You're not going to be able to do it. Don't be able to try to explain eternity. You can't do that either. Don't try to explain heaven and hell. Don't just, just say Jesus saves. He forgives. Once I was blind, now I see. Keep it simple and you watch what God can do with that testimony. Amen. Don't outthink God. It's, an, it's paralysis by analysis. We outthink God and all these people. And 
Don't get caught up and they'll never believe. Has anybody not ever told somebody about Christ because you thought they would what? Never believe. How'd you get here? How, how, were you like all warmed up all your life? Were you just good people waiting for a savior? Come on, let's see his testimony. No, I don't want him. Forget about that. that. That could be very dangerous right now. No testimonies. Hey, I know, I know most of the people in the room. But understand something. How important it is to see this conversion. And how powerful it is. And how God, God left him there for three days to really humble this man. Because he was going to go and have to learn how to suffer for the name of Christ. I want you to know something. No one suffered in the New Testament more than the Apostle Paul. Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was stoned, but he was left alive. He was beaten with the rod three times. He was whipped five times. That's 40 lashes minus one. He wore the scars on his body, Galatians chapter 6 says. The man was deformed in his body. By the time he died, he was a deformed man. He was old, hunched over, bow-legged, struggling with all sorts of ailments, but his body was beaten down. But yet, these were the marks of Christ on his body. And he wore them proudly. For once he used to persecute the body. But now he was taking upon himself the sufferings of Jesus Christ. The similarities and the differences, and I'll be closing with these, are quite different in Paul's conversion and ours. The similarities are the God who saves Saul saves us. When you meet Christ, you met the same God Paul met on the road to Damascus. I don't know what road you were on when God saved you, but it's the same God. We save the same God. And he's as good to you as he was to Paul. And to let you know this, no matter what you've ever done in your life, to study the Apostle Paul will bring a smile and comfort to the worst of sins. Because there is no one living that has outsinned the Apostle Paul. But yet Paul is a great example for all those who would believe unto eternal life. As 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16 teach us. There is no greater example of God's grace. He's the poster child of salvation. It is something that's magnificent to understand what God done in this man's life. God was extremely patient with Paul. God is extremely patient with us. For everybody who's trying to get change real fast in your life, chill out a little bit, all right? Give God a chance to work a miracle of grace in your life. Let me explain something to you. You can't change yourself at all. The Bible says a leopard cannot change its spots. It's a miracle of grace. The only thing you can do is really cry out and say, God, change me. Has anybody ever said that? And then you know it doesn't work too fast. And then you say, God, please change me. And you get warmed up now. And then you're like, anybody ever done that? Then you're like, God, I hate myself. Please, Lord, do something. And then you understand, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And God does change us. It's totally by grace. You can't do a thing. 
You're struggling with the temptations in your life. You're struggling with the weaknesses in your life. Understand something. Bring it before the Lord. And when your plea turns into a cry, and it turns into the gift of desperation, you watch what God can do in your life. Amen. You watch it. I pray you don't have to wait that long. All of us usually have one or two stubborn stains in their life. Any stubborn stains? You know what I mean? Other things go like that, and there's one or two things that just hang around sometimes for decades. You know, and, and I deal with people all the time, and I'm like, all right, just pick yourself up by grace and let's go on. Let's do this again. Let's just do it again. Let's just do it again. Let's just do it again. Because that's the answer. That is the answer. We, like Paul, are spiritually blind before our conversion. We, like Paul, receive the Holy Spirit. We, like Paul, need instruction from older saints. Paul had to go to Ananias. He wasn't self-taught in that way. When you are converted, please understand something. We all need to be instructed in the way of the Lord. We all need to be accepted into the family of God. And here, Brother Steve, Sister Diana, Brother Brian, there's something sweet when we call each other brother, we call each each other sister. There's something sweet when you belong to the local body of Christ. There's something wonderful about it when you walk in there and someone knows who you are as a Christian and someone knows your life. There's something sweet about it and we all need it. Paul needed it and so do you and I. We, like Paul, receive gifts. All of us have gifts. I don't want you to miss out. Please understand that God took this man's brain and he redeemed his brain and made him the first theologian of the New Testament. God redeemed his zeal and made him the greatest evangelist missionary there is in the New Testament or to this day. God redeemed our greatest qualities about us that we were using to serve Satan and he uses it to serve God now. Understand something. Whatever your gifting was, whatever God had you, wherever you were in your life, God redeems that now and sends you back out there. He uses your personality. He uses your intellect. He uses your positions in the job. He uses your positions in life. He uses your position. He uses wherever you are. He uses it for His glory. Amen? That's what he did to Paul. He immediately went into the synagogue because why? He saw the tosses. He had a sphere of influence. He had a platform. And there he could. Could you imagine the first day he walked into the synagogue and they think he was going to curse Jesus Christ and he starts proclaiming, but he is the Son of God. They probably sat there like, what in the world happened? They probably said, no, no, who is this? Is this Peter or is this Saul? They probably had it mixed up when he first started preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And like Paul, all true Christians need to be water baptized. Like Paul, all true Christians are going to suffer at times for their faith. You need to Paul, Paul needed to be physically blind and have three truly hard days and then experience the grace of God when Ananias came in. He's called to be an apostle. We are called to be disciples of Christ. And understand something about Paul. In his letters, he never writes Paul the apostle. He always says Paul, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle through the grace of God and his son, Jesus Christ. He's a, he's a bondservant first. 
long before. Uh, I am Brian Martin, disciple, humble, broken, I pray before God, before I am of a reverend or a minister or a pastor. It means nothing to John, it means nothing to me, their titles. We are broken men before God. He also saw the resurrected Christ and received instruction. God took the worst and made it the best out of him. There's more I can go on here about his personality, but I'd rather just have some closing remarks, okay? It's important to notice facts about Paul, because whenever you read Paul, his conversion experience is never far behind his epistles. He writes as a grateful, saved sinner. You'll never please, he has 13 epistles. As we go through Galatians, you will see he writes as a grateful, saved sinner. He's always encouraging others to respond to God's grace and salvation. All Christian ministers should preach to God's people as converted sinners by God's grace. As Christians, all of us, and I'll close with this, we should do nothing at all in our life but not tying it to the day of our salvation. Nothing. Nothing at all we do in our life should ever be done without the knowledge of our conversion. Every relationship, every tough relationship you're in right now, every person you don't want to be in your life right now, every hard thing, every, every hard boss, every bad neighbor, whoever it is, Nothing can be done outside the knowledge of our conversion in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the great testimony of your servant, Father. The great persecutor of the church became the great builder of the church, Father God, as he went to and fro throughout the Mediterranean world, Father God, on three mission trips. The Bible says that he alone turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. They were burning their religious books. They were tearing down their icons. They were tearing down pagan altars because this man's fervency in preaching the crucifixion and resurrection and second coming of Jesus Christ, Father God. This is a man, Father God, who became a Jew to a Jew and a Greek to a Greek. He became anything to any man that some might be saved, Father God. This man who thought so highly of himself, Father God, would say later on in his life, even on his deathbed, I was the least of all the saints. Father God, we thank you for the great work you've done in his life. But Father, come by grace and do great work in our life because the same God that met Paul is the same God that meets us. Meet us today, Father God, and continue to change us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.